Wow. I know. That, welcome. Is this now a Dancing with the Stars recap? It's show? not. Okay. It's not. But I felt like we needed some fanfare to kick off our October episode. Yes, it's been it's been an age. October was a mother. Yeah. And it has been a minute mm-hmm. since we've sat in the same room. I forgot what you looked like. Uh- <laughs> I'm meeting you all over again. I know, for the first time. <laughs> I know. Also, Joe has brought um, delicious treats for us to eat. I did. While we're recording. So you might hear us talk with a mouthful of donut, and you're just going to have to accept that as yeah. fact, because... You know I'm what? not going to stop eating these delicious cinnamon. If you want to press pause and go get yourself some donuts or a snack, you can. We're going to encourage you to do yeah, that. We We're always going to support you in that journey. Yeah, always, always, and forever, <laughs> forever, ever. Um, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm still on the hangover from this month. I really am. Yeah, like it was. I it was interesting because like leading up to my vacation, uh-huh. I like. There were like three weeks in a row where I had something every day. Mm-hmm. If it was not, if it was, it was usually one thing a day, but it was just a lot mm-hmm. emotionally. And so I was starting to feel a little run down. Then I go on my vacation, which is like, which was like relaxing, but also go, 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 go. go. go, go, go. Yeah. And then when I came back, I'm just like exhausted. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to do anything yeah. that requires like anything anymore. I don't want to schedule, over schedule myself. So. No. so instead, let's just sit down with donuts and talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. No, I feel you on that. I was in Cuba on my vacation, vacation working really, and looked at my calendar ahead. Mm-hmm. Like I looked at what I was returning to. Oh my God. And I made Why? the most pathetic noise ever. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it was something along the lines of like, <sighs> like that. Yes. And, um, and I realized that like the only day off that I had, like immediately upon returning was like Veterans Day. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, insane. Anyway, we are busy, busy bees. We are booked. We are busy. And we are blessed. And we are blessed. We are blessed. We are busy bees. And we are coming at you with a whole lot of opinions on arts and pop culture for the month of October 2019. Yes. Let's jump into it. Um, Did you do your homework from last month? I don't know why people tell me I would like this show. Did you watch it? <laughs> I watched half of it. <gasps> like an episode? And uh, The first episode. Okay. And I'm like, okay, Titanic. It's a slow burn. It takes some time to get into it. Yeah. For those of you just joining us, Joe's homework for the last six months <laughs> has been to watch Downton Abbey. Downtown Abbey. <laughs> Not Downtown Abbey, you asshole. No, Downton Abbey, the series, because when the movie came out... Um, <laughs> Joe was like, I still haven't seen any of it. And I was like, bish. She, and it was an egregious affront. A season. <laughs> it was a challenge to just watch us. I couldn't, it was a, it was a challenge to watch Were an there episode. There too many white people for you? There was a lot of, I mean, and usually I'm on board with whites. I'm on, <laughs> I'm on board with, that's the pull quote for this yep, episode. I'm on board with whites. <laughs> I'm usually on board also, with landed like, whites. I'm on board with uppity whites. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like whites in period costumes. Fussy yes. whites, like you know, like that are complaining about things. Like I like, but like not really complaining mm-hmm. about anything. Yeah, I don't. I just couldn't. You know, and yeah. and and once we get into the other things that we're talking yes. about, it's like, uh, yeah, maybe I just couldn't. Yeah. So it's a slow climb into Downton Abbey. Like you won't get there in just one or two episodes. I'm told the same thing of Game of Thrones, which I will never watch. Yes, exactly. So I understand. I feel your pain. Uh, okay, I get it. Thank you. And so, I also feel like the the daunting task of like how many more episodes of this. Yeah, like it was just. Listen, cr- was I crippling. appreciate that you tried. I did try. I'm going to give you an A for effort. You are no longer failing my class. Okay. Wonderful. Thank Wonderful. you. You're Back, welcome. I'm out of the doghouse in the annex. You are. Yes. You are. <laughs> All right. So we have, uh, we had some big like news in arts and pop culture this month. I'm just going to go ahead and like whoopee this list for you right now. Let's do it. We're going to talk about Tyler Perry Studios. Uh, a bunch of books came out this month that then kind of also sparked news. So Catch and Kill came out by Ronan Farrow, which then kind of like exploded into this whole like, Matt Lauer being an asshole on top of already being an asshole kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, some other books and important is- issues came out. In local San Diego theater, the WOW Festival happened. The Without Walls Festival happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a huge shebang. Uh, Josephine saw Little Shop of Horrors at the Pasadena Playhouse. I did. Which was a groundbreaking production, and I cannot wait to hear about it. Yes. Uh, we both took some pretty huge trips. I was in Cuba. Joe was in New York. Yeah. We're going to talk about what happened and what transpired there. Uh, and then we're going to get into some movies. We're going to talk about Judy. 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 We're going to discuss a little bit of Patsy and Loretta, even though neither of us saw it. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about Dolomite is my name. Yes. Uh, and then we're going to get into some television, talk about modern love, and of course, bring you our DWTS recap. Recap so far, more than halfway through. So far. And Joe's going to get real gay on your asses about uh, this. Yeah, I have yeah. the top three performances so, so far. Just fair warning, go grab a donut and sit back and relax, because we might be talking for the next three hours. Here it's going to be go. great. It's going to be good. All right, so... Glossing over the fact that you did not do your Downton homework <laughs> completely. 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 A for effort, right? A for effort. You have a passable grade in my class. Uh, we're going to talk about the Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry Studios. Oh, my Lord of mercy. Which was so groundbreaking, uh, literally. So just real quick, this overview of what happened here. Tyler Perry made history... When he opened uh, the Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta, um, he's the first black American, I'm reading this, to own a major film studio outright, just hands down. Mm -hmm. The Atlanta Film Complex spans 330 acres with 12 sound stages, which is larger than Burbank, California lots owned by Warner Brothers, Paramount, and Walt Disney Studios combined. Mm -hmm. And so um, he's like, yeah, he just got real black on everyone. He's like, I'm going to be so much bigger than all of you. Now, yep. the capper on the crapper of all of this is that he built this on an old Confederate army base. He sure fucking did. He was like, take that deep south. Fuck you all and watch yeah. my black excellence school you. Yeah, he did. And so the evening where they honored and opened, officially opened the studios was like, the event in Black Hollywood. 
and I shouldn't even say black Hollywood because everybody just came out for it, but it really was a celebration of black excellence. And all of the 12 sound stages were named after um, like pioneers in black excellence yeah. and black film, um, including... Oprah. Oprah. Uh, Cecily Tyson, I Cecily think. Cecily Tyson. Sydney Poitier. And then who just passed? Diane. Oh, uh, Diane Carroll. Diane Carroll. There's the Diane Carroll stage. And that was really poetic because she had just passed like the weekend before. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. It was really dope. Did you see all of the footage and stuff? I saw that? the footage and he has like a like scale replica White House <laughs> that he's doing his... Um, and that TV show that that's going to uh-huh. be used for is Max from One Day at a Time as the president. Yeah. Yeah. So Max from One Day at a Time is playing the president. And uh-huh. the whole thing is that it's a it's a white president with a black wife. <laughs> and, and like, you know, inter, like, you know, mixed interracial politics of Here like in the Oval Office. And I'm like, oh, God. Yes. Here for it. Plus, he's playing like. He's kind of like Fitz and Scandal. Like, yeah. he's, you know, he's just strapping and yeah, I can't yeah, yeah. wait. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's also awesome, too, because Tyler Perry really, like, is such a mogul. And, like, people know him as Medea. And it's very easy to kind of write that off. But Medea is a fucking giant franchise. Yeah. You know, so Tyler Perry has always been smart about his coin. And, like, and just using his platform for good and yeah. to promote his stories is just so thrilling to watch. And, and to lift, you know, in the, the New York Times profile that they did on him mm-hmm. when it was released, the the reporter was talking about how, like, backstage um, at one of the Medea performances that he did at Radio City Music Hall, he was, like, writing a script. Like, mm-hmm. he's just, he just doesn't know how to stop. He doesn't, yeah. And it was interesting because he's also mentioned, they also challenged him about, like, Georgia, the state of Georgia's, like, yeah. um, politics and, you know, all the stuff regarding LGBT trans folks and mm-hmm. everything. And he was like, you know, I, it's like, I, I see that, but, like, there are also, the people that I'm working with are all people who, you know, support this kind of equity, diversity, inclusion. And there are a lot of people in this, a um, lot of people in this industry mm-hmm. who, you know, are affected by that. So it's, like, it's it's reductive to say, don't go to Georgia because yeah. of all the artists that are there. And so now... When instead it's like, we could build this and we could fight back by showing them these overwhelming numbers we have. Exactly. Yeah, and like putting our money where our mouth is, literally. Exactly, yeah. So he kind of defined putting your money where your mouth is and then some, which yeah. was really exciting. So brava, kudos to you. Brava, sir, brava. Absolutely. I mean, such a huge, huge like celebration. And what's more is that like, in these times, you know, to have these moments where we can just really celebrate victory and beautiful work and like people doing good things is so much more important right now because the whole world is feeling like yeah fucking mm-hmm. beat down, you know? Um, so this was such a huge win, I think, for humanity just all around and just really exciting. This is his Skywalker Ranch, but yeah. like on a larger scale. Way. Yeah. Three times the size. Three three times of yeah. all of those combined. But it's just yeah. like, it's it's one of those things where it's going to be like, yeah, forever, for, from moving forward, the next, the next generation of cinema will be created there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, that's super exciting. It's really exciting. Um, and also really cool that like driving through Atlanta, there's like freeway signs that say like exit to Tyler Perry Studios. And like it is that enormous. It's like a city within a city. Yeah. So the scope and scale of that that compound alone is really thrilling. Um, Can't wait to take that studio tour. Yeah, right? <laughs> I know. It's supposed to be amazing. Um, let's talk about Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. Oh, Lord of mercy. Ronan Farrow. Frank Sinatra's love child. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, he's got those blue eyes, though. I got to say. I can't look at him with my mouth full of cinnamon. Though. Yeah. I can't look at him without thinking, Mia Farrow definitely fucks Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. I mean, those blue eyes are piercing. There's no way he's not his child. Yeah. Yeah. Catch and Kill came out. Full disclosure, neither <laughs> of us read it. Neither of us read it. But <laughs> it, is, it is worthy of mention in the culture. Why? Because Ronan Farrow is not here for your Hollywood establishment bullshit. Not just Hollywood. Like, people who have power to literally catch and kill stories to silence people who they're, you know, to silence their victims. Mm -hmm. Um, Give us an overview of this book and like what it was about. So catch and kill, um, catch and kill is an overview of like how those in power have uh, been able to manipulate the media to make sure that people, the, the stories of their victims are not being heard. In specific lenses, Harvey Harvey Weinstein, mm-hmm. Matt, Matt Lauer. Lauer, and then there's a, uh, there's some other ones, but the ones that are most that are newsworthy yeah. from this book are those particular things. So Ronan Farrow released his book separately from um, the other two New York Times reporters that released their book yep. specifically on the Weinstein things. Yeah. And, and last month we talked a lot about the the grossness of the Weinstein thing. Exactly. So yeah. the the news the the reason why this is making such news is because there are um, there are allegations that are brought up that um, from the uh, from uh, one or two of the women specifically with Matt Lauer mm-hmm. of like what we th- what we didn't even know like I like it wasn't even mentioned. He thought I was like oh he was just he was just like a grossy perv, but it turns out he's like. Um, according to the reporting in the book, is like he's just a full-on like predator rapist. Mm-hmm. So you know, this prompted statements from Lauer. Yeah, and then what was like kind of double-down grossness was that Lauer clapped back, and he's been silent ever since he left NBC. Yeah. So when he clapped back, he confirmed all of these allegations, and then said that they were all consensual. So all of like, and it was grossly detailed, um, like all of the things that had happened between these, these two adults um, and the allegations. And he said, yeah, except that it was a consensual adult. That was, that was a, an affair I had, um, but I'm not going to be silent anymore and do this damage to my children. Matt Lauer, you're you know, so gross. Yeah, I mean, again, we were... It's an abuse of power. It's an abuse of power. It, we're treading a little bit because of, like, you know, it, it's courtroom of public opinion and due process of law and all that stuff. But at the same time, like, th- there's nothing for... There's nothing really for these f- to be gained mm-hmm. from um, these women, these victims who have come forward. No. 
never. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's nothing for them to, to, to be so public about no. the things that have happened to them. There's mm-hmm. nothing to be gained, especially because it's ex- like the fears that people have are exactly what's happening. It's mm-hmm. like they're being called liars in the public. And yeah. so. And Matt Lauer's yeah. statement that he released just came across as very um, arrogant and angry and. Um, Along the lines of Weinstein, just this, like, yeah. how dare you call me what I am, yeah. you know? Um, Which, you know, I, I this isn't on our whoopee, but, like, just on that, Weinstein showing his say, face. Yeah, Weinstein's back out in the public right now, too. So he's been released, and he shows up at a downtown club, right? By invite. It's By a- invite, and he's in a booth surrounded by all these young women. And it's like, what are we, what have we not learned about this man? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And then the female comic who called him out received like a ton of backlash for drawing attention to the elephant in the room. Was ejected from the club yeah. by the management. Yeah. For just calling out the fact that there's a rapist in the room. Yeah. But like kudos to her. You don't need to relive your trauma twice. That's yeah. amazing. Oh, anyway, um, so Ronan Farrell, thanks for telling the stories. Yes. Thanks for doing that investigative journalism. You're dope. You're dope. And you look like Frank. (laughs) And also, congratulations, because you proposed to your now fiancé in a hidden little byline in your book, so kudos to you. Yes. I wouldn't know I haven't read the book, but we've heard. (laughs) We've heard. There are things that we've heard. (laughs) These are things that we've heard. We are reporting to you. Yes. Um, The new masculinity issue from GQ was also a thing. Yes. What uh, was that about? So, on the cover of the new masculinity issue by Gentleman's Quarterly, a.k.a. GQ. Gentleman's Quarterly. You have Pharrell, Pharrell, mm-hmm. in this, like, floor-length, <laughs> like, poncho, dr- like, dress, dress vest. Yeah, and it's just looking like a king and, and a queen. And mm-hmm. so, basically... It, the the what the contents of the of the issue are is it's all these great articles and reporting and talking about um, people in culture right now who are redefining or um, or reshaping masculinity in a in their way in their uh-huh. particular way. So there's these there's a great interview with um, one of my favorite comedians, Chibuki Young White, who is a correspondent on The Daily Show. Hannah Gadsby, mm-hmm. um, I think Jordan Roth. Um, as well. So they're, they're talking about like what that means and how you're navigating that. But it, it's, if you do find this issue or anything online about it, you need to read the editor in chief's like editorial note regarding the issue. Cause he's like, okay, how do, when he took over, um, GQ, it was like, how do you talk about masculinity in an age where like, this is not really, in 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 a Me Too age, yeah. in an age where you know you have a growing number of people who are coming forward about their binary, non-binary status mm-hmm. and or non-binary identities, we're breaking apart gender norms. We're breaking yeah. apart gender norms. We're dest- destruction of the binary, mm-hmm. and and he he crafted his letter. It was very beautiful because it was just like basically a statement about what GQ is also going to be moving forward. Good and about how like. This is now. This was his first issue. I don't think this was his no. first issue, but this is his first. It was he was thinking about this when he first came on board, because cool. uh, he's a new. I think he's the he's a newer editor. Cool. And it was just like 
I was reading this, and I was like, yes. It made me want to read everything more because it was like, where? what is the place in this, in this current uh, culture? What is the place for magazines like GQ, like teen, you know, like magazines that have been traditionally geared towards specific gender demographics? Yeah. And what is that Everyone place? reassessing their mission statements is real important right now. Exactly. And I feel like, you know, I, as someone who doesn't, who's someone who doesn't really like to read novels or are like, are like long, long form books. There's a lot of really interesting work that's being done by periodicals, by oh, yeah. magazines and by newspapers that I feel oh, yeah. like a lot of people read are sleeping teen on. Teen Vogue. Exactly. Yeah. Read Teen Vogue. Read, um, read any of the online coverage from Out Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, like read any, like read GQ, like read all of these things that are like, oh, you know, they're mm-hmm. still doing really hard hitting stuff. So, yeah. so yes, um, I don't know if you can get it because I, I don't know if it's still out there, uh, but, but it uh, was out it. there. It and was the out fact there. That it is out there, that it was out and made in, in the universe is important. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that like you have like Pharrell who yeah. is, who's always been a style icon, mm-hmm. but is basically on the cover of a gentleman's magazine. In a dress. In a dress. Yeah. In a, like looking, no looking both simultaneously like soft and hard. And powerful. And so yeah. powerful. Yeah. yeah. See Mother Porter, see what you've done. Yes. 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 Um, this is exciting. Yay. This is super exciting. Yeah. I feel like we're, yeah, we're taking steps ahead. Um, I read two books this month. Oh, that I would like to discuss. Do it. I believe we talked about this a little bit in September. Yes, she was it, reading at you that it was coming. Um, so on October fifteenth, Mother Julie released <laughs> Homework, a memoir of my Hollywood years. Um, so Julie Andrews' book, her second autobiography her first was called home and that was of her 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 early years in the business and broadway and theater and and song and all of that so this homework picked up at um the beginning of her experience making mary poppins which was her very first movie ever and takes it all the way through uh her turn in victor victoria on broadway and if I was not just married to that audiobook for a good week, I was living with Julie Andrews. I, she's so comforting and lovely. Truly. And fascinating to hear her story, but also to hear her talk about her marriage to, to Blake Edwards was really fascinating because he was kind of a son of a bitch. Like, not a bad man, but a hypochondriac, a little crazy. Um, and so like she spent her whole life as this caretaker for her husband, you know, in addition to like, they were constantly moving houses and, uh, and they had a million animals and they adopted two daughters from Vietnam. Did you know this? I did not know that. I didn't know that either. And so it was like, I felt like I was learning about her story, which was really, really exciting. Um, and hearing about her friendships and just like, how she and Carol Burnett are best friends and how Carol Burnett is godmother to her daughter. And like, it's just, she's just lovely and warm. And I want to watch every movie she's ever done now, which is why (laughs) later I'll talk to you about what I saw on a plane. Um, 
But the second book that I read this month was Dear Girls by Ali Wong, mm-hmm. who you have seen I've live. seen live, yes. Yeah. And I can't wait. If that, if her most recent live touring shows... That wasn't Baby um, Cobra. What was no, that? No, it was uh, um, <laughs> the Milk milk and money. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if that becomes a Netflix special, we will be talking about it because oh, yeah. it was so, it was so good. Yeah. So her book reads like her stand-up shows do, you oh, know? well. And it's, it's honest, it's dirty, but it's also like all heart, you know? And so the idea is that every chapter is a letter to her girls, her two daughters, you know, because when her father passed, she wished that she and her father had had more in-depth conversations. So this book being this letter to her girls is like an attempt at that, like learn my story, hear more about how I came up in this and like, um, and there it is. And then her husband has this beautiful afterword in the book uh, about what it means to support your your wife and what it means to like really support the family by putting you know like your mother on this platform and it it was just it was nice it was lovely i don't necessarily like her style of reading cuz i listen to the audiobook oh lord so i wish that there was like a little um a little more direction because it felt like um like vocally I don't know, and this is me just being such a picky bitch, but like there was like, I wish that there was a little more direction in like the fluidity of how she told her stories. I see. You know, Um, but you know, she's not meant to be someone who like reads, you know, she's stand up, she reads crowds. So, um, it's, and it's hard to, you you have, don't have anyone to play off of. Yeah, 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 yeah. So with that, I mean, still the text was lovely and, and hearing her stories and how she, she came up in the business was awesome. But also she talks a lot about um, what it means to be Asian American, um, how, you know, her identity affects um, her comedy and how people approach her. And, the, you know, she hates that question. Like, what does it mean to be an Asian American in comedy? And, you know, and so she kind of breaks all of that down, which is refreshing. And really good. Well, I'm adding that because I, I mean. Add it. You, you read two things that I would read. Let's put it well, that way. Well, I know. So. And I know that you don't read books. And therefore, yep. <laughs> I'm going to give you two really queenie books that you should definitely just read. Okay. So there you go. Mother Julie and Ali Huang. Yes. Thank you so much, ladies. Let's talk about theater. You talk about Pasadena first. Oh, my God. <laughs> Y'all... Well, first of all, you and I have a storied history with Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, we do. Um, you were on uh, my other podcast, Fright School, to yes. talk about Little Shop of Horrors, the, the movie, the film, and a, and subsequently a little bit about the Broadway production, mm-hmm. which you saw. I saw both Broadway productions. Yeah. I saw the original off-Broadway, and then it's remount in eight, in the late 90s or early 2000s. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It, and, and I've seen it. I've seen it once... Locally, um, one of the local theaters did it here, um, the local regional theaters. And but so setting the scene right, I've I had these tickets for a while. A friend of mine, um, you know, organized this little thing for us. And right the two weeks before we were supposed to go, the James Corden um, performance happened. Yeah. And apparently when that happened the next day, it was like the fastest they had sold ever, out. ever sold tickets. Uh, there were still like 
tickets available yep. in some places, Google but seats, yeah. yeah, but like it was just. Oh, I looked the next day. Oh, it was. Well, also to talk about how groundbreaking the show is. Yeah. We have to talk about the casting. We have to talk about the casting because we have uh, MJ Rodriguez playing Audrey Mm -hmm. um, and we have George Salazar playing Seymour. Mm -hmm. So we have two, um, two, uh, actors of color, actors of color, um, one trans actor (laughs) and Mm -hmm. one queer act, like one gay actor, Mm -hmm. like playing love interests in, and like, the cast, like the even the Matt Wilkes who played the dentist, is also gay, um, and it's just so fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. Amber Riley playing um, the plant, the plant, uh, which you'll be happy to know it was a puppet the good. whole time. Good, good. Did uh, you ever see her? You did not ever see her. Oh wow! You she never just saw voiced her. It. Good. She just voiced it. And what was interesting was that they they didn't make the plant like. There was never a, a mouth yeah, movement of the Yeah, I saw some plant. images from it. It was like a like a red and viney. And it was like and this beautiful kind of like tropical looking orchid. That's like cool. it looked out of this world. So even the design of the plant itself was not it, what it had. Flipped the script, yeah. It, it completely flipped the script. And they, they had just like a team of like six puppeteers at any given point. Um, because when the plant would talk to Seymour, uh, the plant the, the plant also never grew mm. on stage. Like you never saw like you know you would cut to a different scene and then all of a sudden the plant would be bigger. Mm. It was the same, but every time the plant did something with Seymour or interacted or spoke or sung, you would see it be larger than life. Cool. So like vines would come down and those would be the mouth. Oh, cool. Or like uh, all of a sudden you'd see like the plants. Uh, the plant's flower like looked so incredibly huge, and and it was interesting because even after, even after the plant is starting to eat people, when um, when the the way it was lit and the way and once that was all done, it would go back to being like this small, small. plant. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it was really cool. Very cool. And uh, M. J. Rodriguez was well, my well, let, yeah. Let's talk about Corden. So Corden was Corden was great because the late they, late night. Uh, they did. Uh, Corden obviously, you know, loves theater. So yep. suddenly, he Seymour came from the theater. He gets it. He supports it. Exactly. Yes. So they did suddenly Seymour on Corden, and it was just and like incredibly tore powerful. The house down. Exactly. And first of all, everybody knows MJ Rodriguez from Pose, but mm-hmm. not many people heard her sing, like from her guts with her mm-hmm. face just wide open. Um, she has sung on Pose, but she has, but that's like a pre-recorded track. Exactly, and, yeah. like this is like Wasn't live singing, like Broadway singing, because and she sang, and you could just tell, like they had really great chemistry. They did, and everyone saw it there. So yeah, yeah, it was so beautiful, and 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 specifically MJ's performance in um, in this was. Everything was played very straight. Mm-hmm. Like there was no, it didn't feel like they were um, exaggerating anything or creating any hyperbole. So like there, she had no like Audrey accent. Audrey wasn't a caricature. Audrey wasn't a character about anything. Yeah. They had no Audrey accent. Uh-huh. And one of the, one of the things, so one of the pop culture Facebook groups I'm a part of, one of the commenters right before I, I was reading about it and right before I went to the show, one of the commenters was like, I'm not going to see I'm not going to see this play because, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be a part. I don't want to see a play that um, plays domestic violence for laughs. 
And I was like, huh, I've never heard that reading before of, of Little Shop of Horrors. Interesting. And I was like, oh, okay. And so then when knowing that that comment stuck with me on when I saw it, I was uh-huh. like, the Pasadena Playhouse version like doesn't like really plays the seriousness of the of the situation that um, Audrey is in with the dentist. Oh wow! Like Good. it was very it was very interesting because even the costuming was like she's not she's obviously like sexy but not like overdoing not it overly sex she's not, not o- betty booped yet. no she like she's wearing like pants but like she has kind of a crop top like a uh-huh. very modest crop top on for some of it and she is but like all the stuff with the dentist was just and he played it like he was just a straight up asshole the entire mm-hmm. time like he wasn't even a caricature it was very straight and one of the more serious moments is when um when they have like you know i'm sorry doctor i'm sorry doctor and he like hits her for the first time uh-huh it's just like it, you could realistic. feel it. It's very realistic, mm-hmm. and which added to Seymour, played by you know the amazing George George Salazar. Seymour's whole thing of like, okay, this is why he has to die. Yeah, and Ooh. it was set, and that's the other thing too. So it was set as mo- it was set as modern as possible. They were in very modern dress, mm-hmm. um, and it was a it was a small cast. Like it was. Um, um, it was three just urchins. the three urchins yeah. who like could sing the house down, of just course. the three of them. Yeah. But I, I thought that it was a very good take on that's how you revive something. Yeah. Like you breathe, you didn't change anything, but you breathe a lot of life breathe into it. Breathe a new it. life into it. And I'm so glad you brought that up because juxtaposed against the Pasadena Playhouse version in New York is the Whitey White White remake of the old version mm-hmm. with Jonathan Groff as Seymour. With Jonathan Groff and Christian Boyle Borle uh-huh. as um, the as dentist. As the dentist, exactly. So, like, again, it was just Pasadena had this opportunity and this platform to reinvent this, and they did in a, without, without altering text or changing any of the words or music, and, and they gave it a new life, whereas in New York... It's kind of the same old story. Yeah, it was a, a it was the same musical. old story. It's never gonna go away. But I think the way that they were, I think it's just in a more intimate setting. Yeah, and it was interesting that those two productions were announced at like the same time yeah. on both coasts, and they were so just one was like a missed opportunity, and another yeah. was just groundbreaking. Exactly, so. and it 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 pains me that the Pasadena version will not see. Will not have a bigger life mm. um, uh, to have and, and affect more people. Yeah, because that that should have been the version that like that people saw. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say is that it, 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 the when you're talking about reviving, right? It, mm-hmm. it was just it was so interesting how even that part where during Meek Shell Inherit, where you know, sweetie, honey, baby, you know, all of those people are coming in to give Seymour things. Yeah. Even how those characters came in, were dressed, and were styled, it was all like modern versions of uh, that. Uh-huh. And it was just like I thought it was so brilliant how they did all that. Nice, yeah, great, it was really great. Who directed it? Do you know? Um, I don't know who directed, um, but I will say that their direction is very good. And I learned that Pasadena Playhouse is the State Theater of California. It is. It I is. did not know that. That is where, look up the director real quick. On I will look show. it up. Vamp, vamp, um, please. I'm going to vamp because I spent some time at the Pasadena Playhouse about 10 years ago um, uh, when I was there for the Director's Lab West. That is where um, the Director's Lab West is always hosted. Uh, so we work 
in the Pasadena Playhouse and also upstairs, the Pasadena Playhouse has a Carol Burnett sponsored library. Um, yeah. And then workshops across the street. Um, so I spent a lot of time in that area and we learned a lot about the history of Pasadena Playhouse and that it is the State Theater of California. It's a beautiful facility. Oh my gosh. And it was like... It's a the, historic theater. It's, it's a lovely. historic theater. It is gorgeous there. And I was like, I need to see more shows here. This is a very beautiful place That to is be. where I saw Deaf West's production of Our Town, which oh, knocked wow. me off my ass. Like, And I sat in like five hours of LA traffic to get up there to see it. And it was groundbreaking. Beautiful. You, you really would have loved. Um, you really would have loved uh, um, how they d- like the very end. Um, Don't feed the plants. Mm-hmm. Where because it, it was just like all they did an element of shadow puppetry too. Mm. So they had like this like wheel and they had the plant like kicking things over and they did the same thing in the beginning. Yeah. Um, which by the way, uh, un- <laughs> um, cameo by Billy Porter who played the voice of you know announcing the beginning. Oh yeah. On the first day, yeah, oh, nice. it was very very, very cool. cool. Nice, nice, um, nice. It was. Hold on one second. I am. I am holding. I am holding. Mike Donahue is the director. Well, kudos to you, Mike Donahue. Yes. Good work. Very good work. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, Little Shop is one of my faves, and mainly because I it's tied to my earliest memories of theater, um, and I love it. So I'm happy to see that it has this kind of power still you know yeah i almost i almost uh accosted a woman at intermission oh really yes because i was standing next to the house manager waiting for my friends to get back from the bathroom and she went up to the house manager and was like it's good but i just don't like audrey like she doesn't have like Mm. she doesn't have like you know she's a good singer but she doesn't have that like you know that cutesy voice and Mm. i was like oh let me not Mm -hmm. (laughs) i was like i could have I could have read her with... I could have invoked you and read her to... Old folks are going to want things the way that they want things, and that's that. Exactly. And I was just kind of like... Yeah. mm, I I let it go. Wasn't worth catching a case. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Not worth it. I'm glad, because I don't have money to pay When we talk about New York, I will tell you about another instance where I did not... I chose not to catch a case. Okay, good. Good, I'm glad. Preface that. Again, I don't have money to bail you out. Um, I'm going to talk about the WOW Festival. Mm. So the Playhouse is Without Walls. WOW Festival happened in uh, October 17th through the 20th in Liberty Station, San Diego. And yes, this is a local event, but La Jolla Playhouse is a nationally recognized regional theater. They send a ton of work to Broadway. And this is a local festival that they do. Uh, that is local, but also international. So they bring in groups from around the world for this. This was the same weekend you were in New York, right? It, yeah, I, well, I had to go to Portland first for a wedding. So this was the weekend that I yeah, left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Courtney, who has been featured on an Artist We're Spotting episode with us, mm-hmm. Courtney and I... Uh, hey, Court. Hey, Court. We wrote a piece called Pandora and the Jar of Hope. And it was uh, produced and featured in the WOW Festival. So we had... Um, our first professional production that wasn't a youth production um, featured in the La Jolla Playhouse as well festival, which was a pretty big deal for Courtney's school. And um, on top of that, we as artists in the festival were then given passes to see everything else in the festival or at least get on standby lists to see everything else in the festival. Um, so I got to see a few things. I got to see um, Malashak did this beautiful circus dance piece called uh, Without a Net. 
And so they had like a sideshow room with um, like contortionism and stuff like that. And then they had this beautiful circus dance performance with like aerials and um, uh, and like acrobats and Oh, that sounds beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. And they really transformed their space, which was so cool. Um, I also got to go and see uh, How High the Moon, which was uh, a beautiful play written by my friend Mike Sears and directed by his wife, Lisa Berger. And that was stunning. It's a modern day fable about a, a young couple who's trying to... Uh, find their moon, right? This beautiful metaphor for like having a child and the hoops that you have to jump through to get a child and or to find your moon. Um, so they go on this whole journey to acquire a moon and uh, it was just this modern day fable about loss and about um, wanting and it was heartbreakingly beautiful and it was done outside without walls uh, and they set up in the park in you know Liberty Station as a public park so the coolest thing about this and of course all of our friends are designers on this and things like that so they told us that every single night in the festival they had a two-hour setup they oh had to God. load in their whole stage, their whole lighting, rigging, light boards, setup, electrical, everything. They had a two-hour load-in. They performed their show, and then they had a one-hour strike after every show. So at the end of the evening, they had to pack it all up because they couldn't leave the stage out. It's a public park for the next day. Then when we found out, um, my friend Chris Renda did uh, lights on it, and I believe he was one of two engineers there. Um, Chris told us that they were on a time crunch at the end of every night because at 11 p.m., 11 or 11.30, the sprinklers came on, the public sprinklers. Oh, so my So they gosh. had to, like, get everything out before the water came on in the park. So they were just up against such a time crunch. So on top of having this beautiful piece displayed for so many people, I mean, people were bringing up lawn chairs to see it. Everyone was there with their coffee and their hot cocoa. Um, It was such a lovely outdoor experience. And then knowing kind of the hard labor that had to go into making that happen at the beginning and end of every night was just such a testament to like, what the wow festival is and what it means to kind of, you know, build your own work, you know? Yeah. Uh, there were really cool pieces that were featured on like the main lawns. There was like a main performance stage. Las Quinceañeras was a piece that was featured that I tried to get into. And there was like a 45 minute wait to get into it because people were only admitted like two at a time. And then it was a 45 minute journey through it. Um, so that was a, like a really in demand piece. I gave up my ticket for that. <laughs> I had a ticket because I foolishly thought that oh, I'll go and see the 8.45 uh, time slot for Las Quinceañeras right bef- the day before I had to leave mm-hmm. at nine in the morning. Yeah. And I just didn't get enough things done. Yeah. So I gave my ticket up for that. And I'm really bummed yeah. because I, because David Reynoso's work is something that's eluded me for a while. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I've wanted to see things that he's done in town for so long. Yeah. And I just look, I look forward to seeing more. Yeah. Um, We were on the wait list for it, but at that point, it was already so late on Sunday night. We just couldn't. We couldn't make it happen. So mm -hmm. we, again, gave up our spots on the wait list because, like, at that point, the rap party was happening. So everybody who was a part of the festival 
was at this final big like rap party with the DJ and dancing and all that stuff. It was just a really beautiful celebration of work, um, both in town and welcoming guests from out of town. Um, and it was an honor to be a part of it. It was really exciting. Yeah. And it looked like, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting was that there was a lot of things that people could just bring their families to and just yeah. do and just yep. like see and watch yeah. and, and play and be a part of. Definitely. Yeah. There were big displays. There was, um, I forgot what it was called. Like how, like, the tall seas, the, yeah, the tall the, tails on the high sea or something Where like, like they look like they were on the a acrobats, ship. Yeah. There was a giant boat that was like centered in the mm-hmm. middle and they were Australian acrobats. So they um, they were like on the top of these giant like poles that kind of swayed back and forth from this ship that was rotating in the middle of the center lawn. Um, it just And like families just gathered around, pulled up their arm, their lawn chairs and and sat and watched and you know Liberty Market was there and so everybody had just good food all weekend and Liberty Market was like a or Liberty Station sorry was a really cool venue for the WOW Festival um and we're excited to see where it'll be in two years but it was definitely um a thrill to be a part of it yeah so it's cool awesome yeah um and then two days later we closed the WOW Festival on Sunday, and two days later, Courtney and I flew to Cuba. Dale, Miss Wendy, dale. Yes. Dale, Miss um, Wendy. I've been wanting to do that for a while. I know you have. <laughs> I, I, I need to impress upon you, though, like, my entire life, I have needed, I have needed and wanted with every fiber of my being to be in Cuba. Like I knew my whole life that one day I would go. Um, I just never thought it would be for theater and I never knew when it was going to happen. And for a second I was like, Oh, I'm going to go for my 40th birthday. That was under like the Obama, you know, uh, administration when things looked like relations were improving between the two countries. And then our current administration like then, shut all that down. So I really thought this trip was not going to happen. This was not supposed to happen for me this year. And then Courtney was like, no, no, we've been invited. <laughs> so we've been invited to the International Theater Festival of Havana, which happens every other year. And every we learned a lot about the festival too. Every other year in Havana, the festival is national. So it's a national Cuban theater festival. And then on the every other is international. So we attended the international year. Um, they were just so genuinely thrilled that we were there and that we wanted to be there and that um, that American citizens still have the want to come to Cuba to participate in something like this. Um, And yet, you know, our countries are still so at odds. So we talked so much about how artists need to learn from each other um, and experience that. And so we were presented with like festival materials that were so extensive. And because the country is like so poor, I didn't like we had no idea what to expect with this festival, you know. But we were presented with like a booklet, a program materials, like a very extensive program documenting every play that we would see, what country it was from, all over the place. Like we were presented with um, credentials that said invitado, so we got into every single show. There were shows every day at three, five, and nine. So we saw three shows a day for the next four and a half days. Um, And we saw shows from around the world in Cuba. And every single theater that we went into was like this magical door that you'd just like, 
Like you never oh. like find I never would have known where theaters were in Cuba if it were not for this festival because they were all like little hidden doorways. They looked like um any other house on the block. They looked like all of the buildings, but then you would like enter this rando side door and be in a hundred seat black box theater with full lighting and rigging. Like it was insane. And we saw the most weird theater. We saw some of the most beautiful theater. Mm -hmm. Like it was just such an incredible experience. So we saw theater from Spain, Argentina, uh, Dominican Republic, from Puerto Rico. And of course from like all over Cuba, um, and then, of course, we ate. We ate the whole week. Um, and I'm still, like, processing all of it because this was just last week. Um, and it was, it was like, pretty life-changing experience. It was really, really beautiful. Wow. Anything, um, anything stand out about the performance that you saw that, like, I would never have been able to see this if it was not for this experience. I mean, that's a lot of it, but like, is there anything that there you... was one performance that I will like never in my entire life ever forget. Um, and it was the first show that we saw. Wow. So it was called Vida and it was from Spain and it was one man. This, his name was Javier. Um, and he did puppetry using just his hands. Like, so his hands, his two hands, right and left, became characters. And for the life of me, I, like, I don't know how he did it. And he said at the beginning of the show, like, he just spent his entire life, you know, like, playing with this. And so this is obviously a skill he's just worked on his whole life. But he created the most beautiful story of, like, a life cycle of people meeting and, and falling in love and growing old and dying, like, with just his hands, and at the end of this festival, at the end of that show, Courtney has video of me just like weeping, just in a puddle. Like the two of us were just wrecked after it. It was like nothing I have ever seen. That's that's beautiful. Yeah, we saw another piece from Puerto Rico um, that was completely nude. Oh, wow. So okay. there were two actors, a man and a woman, uh, who were covered in black body paint. And they were completely naked throughout the entire show. And that was an exploration of, um, I believe, a mental health, like a, like a waiting room in, in a, a mental facility. Um, and all of the shows that we saw in Spanish were in Spanish. And so one of the shows we saw was in Portuguese and had projected Spanish subtitles, oh, wow. which okay. was actually a little easier for me to process because I can read faster than I can like aud audibly um, process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it was, um, it was just, our brains were really tired by the end of every day, but it was also like so fulfilling and so exciting. And, and then there was music everywhere, like everywhere we went, there were like beautiful musicians. I fell in love with a flute player. Oh, a flautist. A flautist. Um, and he was hot as fuck. So <laughs> Courtney can back me up on this. And yeah, there you go. It was just, it was a beautiful, beautiful week. And she fell in love with Cuban Jethro Tull. Like yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, just, yeah, I, I don't know. That experience is something that I will like die with, you know, and knowing that, that I had that was like incredible and, you know, potentially going back. So it'll be exciting. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. 
But yeah. Not only was it something that you never thought, you knew would happen, but just never knew when. Now you know that it's a place. I know it's a possibility. It's a possibility. I know that it has opened doors for me and I know, and me and Courtney, and I know that, you know, I know that it's there and it's possible. And so I'm excited to see what happens next. That's great. Yeah. Tell me about New York. How was that? Oh, Nueva York. Um, It was great. Um, this this trip to New York was one of my favorite trips that I've ever yeah. taken so far. Uh, I've this is the second time I've been to the city. Uh huh. And um, we <laughs> we stayed at this hotel that had a really great rate, but we stayed at a hotel in Bushwick. Oh hey. So so for <laughs> so that's that's Wendy's New Yorker mm. um, judgy tone. Mm. Um, I got really acquainted with the M train um, everywhere, and mm-hmm. it was it was the it was the first time in my life where I felt like, okay, if I could, if I had to, I could, I could live here. Mm-hmm. Like I had that moment. And even though I was just there visiting, we were there for like three days and we just, I had this moment where I was just like, okay, it, this doesn't seem, this doesn't seem too far off for me. Like New York is not just this place that is in like media and culture and in a very particular curated image for me. Like this Mm -hmm. is a place that like real people live. And this is a place that I, that could be potentially for me. I'm not moving to New York anytime soon. I just had that feeling. I was like, I was just talking to my friend uh, Riley about this. And we were saying like, like New York is absolutely doable and it would be great to live there for like, a few months for like four or five months, but like New York eats away at you after a while. It's hard. It's a hard city to sustain. Um, but not, not impossible, not impossible. And that's, and that's the biggest takeaway was that it was just not impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, saw three shows while we were there. Uh Tell Um, us what they were. So, um, I'm going to talk about Moulin Rouge first. Tell me about Moulin Rouge, because I am curious. When it first came out, I was like, I need to see that. And then I learned a little more of it, and I was like, I never need to see that. <laughs> so I want to know what your thoughts are. Tell me about it. Go. Moulin Rouge is the show that you take your mother to. Understood. <laughs> Except I would, I would say... That being a blanket statement, yet not Lorraine. Exactly. Exactly. I think my mother would hate it. And I say that because it is the it's the same plot from the film. Yep. They they are doing some really interesting things with all of the pop songs that they're covering and uh-huh. the way that it's just like it's very arranged. It's it's arranged in this interesting way. The entire time I'm sitting there, I'm just like, how did they get the rights to all of these songs? Yeah, that's like the big, big question there. And my friend Allison was like, I just tried to listen to the soundtrack and I was like, ugh, over it. Because it's so much splicing and cutting. It is so much, but the but like and I and so full disclosure. It makes sense on stage. It it makes more sense on stage. Okay. So it's not something that I feel again, it's one of those things where it's like you have to be there in the room. Yeah. Because when I was listening to the album before I went, I was just like, oh, it's a hot mess. Because it's just yeah. a lot of like, you know. Did you already have your tickets? No, we didn't have our, I didn't have my tickets yet. Okay. And but the friend that I went with, her favorite movie of all time, is Moulin Rouge. Oh, hey. And she had never seen a Broadway musical. Oh, so much pressure. Got it. Okay. So, so, and so when, so one thing I told her before the trip, I was like, hey, look, so I listened to the album for a little bit and I just want you to know that there are, there are very specific things that they changed yeah. and don't go in there expecting to see the, this, movie, this, on the, the movie on the stage. Yeah. And I think she appreciated that because we had the best 
time. Oh yeah? It is like so much fun. It is it is a spectacle in the best way. Good. Karen Olivo can sing your yeah. freaking face off. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Burstein was my favorite part of the whole thing because he plays Ziedler. Uh-huh. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. And it's definitely irreverent still. And It's at the Imperial, right? It's at the, is it at the Imperial? Hirsch, the Al, oh, okay. at the Al Hirsch, mm-hmm. whatever. The Hirschfield? Uh, on 45th. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, mm-hmm. a, a couple... Thing. We went to Schmackery's. Uh, so, but it's it is gorgeous yeah. and beautiful. And it and I told her I was like, look at all, look at how they've arranged, look at how they've arranged the lights. Look at how this. And I said, this is not something that you get from a touring cast because this is the only thing that lives here. So this whole theater, everything is intentional. And I was just trying to tell her about like, look at the red damask like paint, you know, mm-hmm. all of this stuff, and. The thing, the thing that was interesting was that, like, there are moments where, like, it's these, like, really poppy songs that they're doing in this Broadway way. So, at some points, like, people are giggling a little bit because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you're about to, like, really sing Firework by Katy Perry. But um, then, like, yeah. Karen Olivo goes, and in my mind, it was just, like, Karen Olivo goes, like, oh, you don't think I'm going to bring you to tears with Firework by Katy Perry? Let me, let She's me. She's like, yeah. Let me do me. it. The same thing with, like, Aaron Tivette singing like a mashup of Crazy by Niles Barkley and Rolling in the Deep. That just, it sounds so muddled and yeah. wrong. Yeah. But if it makes sense. It makes sense show. on stage and it makes so much sense. And there are moments where it's like, yeah, they're definitely like playing, you know, the Duke comes out and he's singing so fresh and so clean. Like it makes yeah. sense. And there's, the the first number after the in the beginning of the second act is like a semi Argentine tango to bad romance. Oh yeah. That has like tainted love and toxic, like all this stuff behind it. Mm. But it makes sense in the context of, of the, the show. of the show because it's also an it's still a show within a show. And it's very like Kiss Me Kate. Mm-hmm. Like it they're all like in this rehearsal. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. So again, it's a show that you take your mother to. It's a show that you take your friends to, which brings me to my next point. Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and just take your word yes. for Moulin Rouge <laughs> and never see that. Yeah. So I agree. So yeah. we sat in the mez second to last row. Okay. The women behind us uh-huh. were all best friends. Uh-huh. They were all in from Jersey. Of course. And they sung oh. at different points. No. And I was like, I was you like, turn around and slap them and be like, Wendy would kill you right I, now. I was like, Wendy would, Wendy would murder these women. Yeah, I Mendy, sure would. Wendy would murder these women. And in my mind, I'm just like, you know what? I, I, it was not even worth it because they would they would do it at very specific points, but it, they weren't familiar with all the songs. And in my mind, I'm like, as long as they don't sing during Come What May, I will not like Venmo them. Like, I will not send a Venmo request for like two hundred dollars. Like it was yeah. not like yeah. I was like, that's interest because one yeah. for fifty dollars for each of you. But yes, it all was right. fun. Good, good to know. Um, what was your next thing? Your friend thing? Um, the next thing was well. I'm going to save Slave Play for last. So the my favorite thing that we saw yeah. was this musical cabaret at Joe's Pub uh-huh. at the Public called Spirit Night. Yeah. Uh, Henry Kapersky and Larry Owens, who are two people who I know from like podcasting world, uh-huh. they put on this sh- uh, cabaret called Spirit Night, which is music, which is music and comedy, but it's basically 
they invite their their friends, their guests to come on and basically talk about whatever, but whatever shows their like spirit. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was just supposed to be like an uplifting mm-hmm. thing, not like church, but definitely more yeah, yeah. spirit. And it was, it was weird and downtown and strange yeah. and beautiful, like. Two gay men cast gay sex magic on us. Nice. Um, Anna Fabrega, who is Tati on Los Spookies, uh-huh. she did a comedy set. Cool. They, I watched like I watched a man do a duet with himself. He did nice. get uh, get happy uh, with Judy and <laughs> would you, but like yeah. he did it with a video of himself uh-huh. doing it in rehearsal probably earlier that day. Um, I've done that with a puppet, by the way. I, I know. I was. I was gonna say you. You. You would know something from. It's one that. of my classics. It's one of my numbers. Um, I watched like a man get up there, and like Larry Owens came up, and he had like the skirt on and a handbag, and he dropped his handbag like Aretha Franklin, and did another hundred yes. people. <laughs> And um, I mean, you said so much there. Uh, it was yes. just beautiful. Um, he did. There was this really great moment where he did "Spirit" from Beyonce's album from yep. Lion King. Yep, yep. And I was like, "Oh wow, okay, I guess I need to get this song." Ryan um, Haddad, who is on The Politician, uh-huh. he um, is the gentleman with the glasses and the walker and The Politician. Uh-huh. He did um, this beautiful like story about his grandmother who lived in New York for 20 years, but then spent the rest of her life in Ohio, where he's from. Mm-hmm. But she always considered New York her hometown. Mm-hmm. And he did NYC from Annie. Yay. And then he was like, oh, and you know, my grandmother is really ill. We don't know if she's going to make it. So please, you know, send your good energy and your blessings. Sorry. And then he did, um, I could only give you love at last forever. I was like, yeah. Ah! yeah, yeah, it was crazy and fun. Did and you catch all your feelings. I caught all the feelings. It was long, but it was just like so unexpected. Yeah. So that's why I, it was my favorite thing because of how unexpected it was. Nice. The last thing I saw that was was Slave Play, mm-hmm. which I will be seeing in December. Yes, so, so Josephine is not allowed to talk. So about we will it right not now. be talking about it. I will just say that it it is definitely it was definitely an experience, and Rosie O'Donnell was there the day that I went. Rosie O'Donnell was in um, the audience. In the audience, she was not in it. <laughs> I'm like, she's not in that show. She's not in it. it. Okay. Um, Rosie O'Donnell is in it, and there. Are you saying O'Donnell? Uh, is it O'Donnell? No, it's O'Donnell. Is O'Don? It's not O'Donnell. No, it's, it's o- not O'Donnell. <laughs> it's O'Donnell. Who is O'Donnell? Is it Chris O'Donnell? Chris I don't O'Donnell. No, an O'Donnell. No, okay. I think no. I think it's O'Donnell. O'Donnell. Okay. Well, Rosie. Rosie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rosie was there, and it was a in the orchestra. There was it was majority white faces, mm-hmm. and no one left. Two hours and fifteen minutes, no intermission, and no one like. There's no intermission. There is no intermission, and it's completely intentional. Jeremy O'Harris is like, y'all have to sit with it because I sit with it every day Uh of my life, and it is, it is intense in unexpected ways, Mm -hmm. and it it's but it's also hilarious. Okay, say no more. Very specific ways. So there we go. Say no more. We'll talk about this again. We're gonna talk about it. Yeah. When we well in in. When we do in our, our December episode. In our December yes. episode, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um let's talk about 
Judy. Judy. Now, you and I were both scheduled to see Judy on the same day in different cities. In different cities, we did. Opening weekend. Opening weekend, I saw it with my boo-boo Tony, and you saw it in Vegas? Vegas with with Lady Delia. With Lady D. Got it. Um, What was your take on Judy? I... I enjoyed it a uh-huh. lot. I'm also not. I'm not one of those gays with an opinion of Judy. Yeah. Of Judy mm-hmm. Garland. So I'm not like, uh, oh my god, she's you know Jesus Christ on a cracker. Like no, I'm I'm not one of those. Uh huh. What I was here for was how how different it was from the play that it's based on. Yes. Um, which is End of the Rainbow. Yes. Um, very different, but still very. I thought it was a very nuanced portrayal of a mother, like yeah. not even just like a performer, but like a woman who was like put through the ringer her entire life uh-huh. and chewed up, spit out by by the Hollywood machine, who at the very end of it is just trying to be the best mother that she yeah. can try to be. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was, I really connected all of that because I myself am, because <laughs> I myself am a hard, hard-nosed mother. Uh-huh. Um, I will say that it... It did a good. It wasn't too precious. Mm-hmm. Like it did a really good job of like showing the flaws where the flaws were, but yeah. it was still very. It was it was just a good portrayal, and yeah. I like Renee Zellweger. Mm-hmm. I I mean we've talked about Renee yes. in the past and yeah. how like I have always felt like <laughs> I feel like I should not like Renee Zellweger. Right. I feel <laughs> right? like every time she's in a show, I feel like. I should hate her. I should not enjoy her. And yet, if you look at her body of work, everything she's done has been real. Like, she's had some iconic moments in there. Yeah. You know, from Bridget Jones to Chicago. To Jerry Maguire. To Jerry Maguire. To, you know, to Judy, to Cold Mountain, to, you know, like, she's had these, she's also had a few flops in there, but for the most part, like... Me, myself, and Irene, let's never forget. But for the most part, though, she has, like, some very iconic, like, you know, uh, feathers in her cap, and so um, I did see Judy with someone who is a Judy gay, and so Tony Tone is, like, a Judy purist, Therefore, he hated the new Star is Born with Lady Gaga. So, like, I saw Star is Born with him, and he would not shut up about bitching about it for, like, three weeks after. But with Judy, after the film, I was like, I can't wait to see you get, like, so bitchy about this. It's going to be my favorite thing about watching this movie. And he was actually, like, not bothered Oh. So I feel like that's a win. And the end, I asked him what his thoughts were. And he said that, like, they were mixed. He was like, "Uh, I didn't hate it. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to call that a win for Renee. Go ahead. (laughs) Because, like, it really was. There were moments on that screen where you were like, oh, holy shit. Oh, holy shit. It was so Judy. And then there were moments where you were like, oh, yeah, it's Renee. Um, but really, like you said, just embodying this like deep-seated desire to just be a good mother. Yeah. To just have some normalcy in her life while still being this like larger than life figure. While still like needing to be drunk and high all the time is yeah. like a lot. Um and yeah, I mean, Renee Zellweger, granted, she's like frighteningly tiny. Um, but 
But I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought yeah. it was great. I thought it was really great as well. I thought it was really great. And the fact that Tony didn't outwardly hate it. That's a win. That I think it's a win. <laughs> I think it's a win for Renee. So there you go. But then the reviews. Tony there didn't it hate it. Tony didn't hate it. <laughs> it's a win. Yay. Um, Patsy and Loretta on Lifetime. <laughs> Now, we talked about this. We were both excited about it. We were like, it's on. It's Jesse Mueller. It's Megan Hilty. It's going to be exciting. And then neither of us saw it. Neither of us saw it. And why did you choose to not see it, Josephine? Because in the ads for it, the wigs look bad. And I was like... (laughs) (laughs) You judgy bitch. I was like, no. I I was like, I don't think I want to see this. And I kindly reminded Josephine that like their hair was bad. The real Patsy and Loretta just had that hair. Still. (laughs) (laughs) Too much. No. And it just like, you know, and, and and like the, the one image I'm thinking of is like where they're like sitting in a car together and they look like the bad girls club. And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, if I'm going to follow any story, it's going to be coal miners daughter with sissy SpaceX. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, there's that, that's the Loretta, the Loretta Lynn story. And like, that movie we talked about on our Julie episode, um, our Julie's artist spotting episode, mm-hmm. um, because Sissy Spacek is a fucking boss. So, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, Jesse Mueller, you're not going to do it for me. Sorry. I don't know. But anyway, we didn't see it, but it got really good reviews. Yeah. Cool. You should still see it. There's buzz about it. Go see it. If you are someone who enjoys a good Lifetime movie, we encourage you to see that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, also, were you a Breaking Bad fan? Did you watch all of Breaking Bad? I did. I love Breaking Bad. I did too. Yeah. I have not gotten around to seeing El Camino yet, though. I have not either. I, I'm, I'm curious. I just... I, I don't I, remember a lot of the last season. I feel like, do I need to go back and watch? So I, I don't have time yeah. for that. And that makes me nervous. I went ahead. I watched, um, before they even made the official announcement about El Camino, I did go back and watch a couple of episodes of the last season. Okay. And um, I'm... I'm. I haven't watched it yet either. So, okay. I. But I also like didn't want to watch it. Like I want to have like a very. I can dedicate my attention to it mm-hmm. because it. It's two hours. It looks like a slow burn. Yeah. I just want to be able to absorb what it's giving me. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Thoughtfully. I just feel like that. It's going to be an investment. Yes. I've again. I've heard beautiful things about it. But it looks like an investment. But it looks like an investment that I don't really have time for right now. So, okay. Also, it's like, I don't, like, it's a hard, it's like going to be like this hard, tragic story. And Mm -hmm. I just don't, you know, I Mm -hmm. I want to be in the right space for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Were you in the right space when you saw the return of Eddie Murphy? Yes. Dolomite? Yes. Dolomite is my name. Go ahead. Tell us about it. fucking up, motherfuckers, is my game. Um, So, Dolomite is about... um, is about the comedian Rudy Ray Moore, who created this character of uh, Dolomite um, in his stand-up comedy. And then from that, also, uh, basically with just his friends and a lot of, um, and a lot of loans, uh, uh, wrote, a, wrote and filmed a Dolomite, which is a black exploitation film, and constantly heralded as like the pen, like the ultimate black exploitation film mm-hmm. of that era and um I, I researched a little bit about him because i didn't know much about him i just knew that i wanted to see um i wanted to see eddie murphy uh in his return and that's the and that's the interesting thing about this story right is that 
Rudy Ray Moore, he like is this failed mu- he's this failed kind of semi vaudevillian who's like, how do I go back and make my how do I go and make my money? And so then he creates this character, gets a lot of success doing that, and he's like, well, how can I do this again? And then he goes and make this movie, gets a lot of success from and that. It mirrors Eddie Murphy's career. And it mirrors Eddie Murphy's <laughs> yeah. career. It's just like, oh, let's get the let's get the rewrite more of our time. Mm-hmm. And he is just he's just great in it, mm-hmm. and it is just like. It is so lovely to see so many talented, beautiful black faces on a screen. Yeah. You have Keegan-Michael Key, Titus, uh, Titus Burgess is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, just all of these people in, um, in this film. And it's really a love letter to that particular time and that particular style of movie making. Mm-hmm. And one thing that like, People who love cinema know like black exploitation is just this like it's this whole thing, and you really to really talk about like representation and what that and how the fight for representation has never stopped. But like it was one, it was the most successful film at that time, and just yeah, mm. it was great. It's also hilarious and. Awesome. Um, and really fun, and it and it will it will make you want to go see those. And films. there's some Oscar buzz about it. Yeah, and and there should be because it's really good. Good. And Eddie Murphy is slated to host SNL soon too. He is. He's yeah. going to return. He's never hosted SNL. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's exciting. Like, yeah, this is a big, you know, step back in for Eddie Murphy, and we will talk more about it. I'm sure next month. Yeah. Yay. Can't wait. Cool. All right. I want to venture into television real quick. Okay. Um, and before we move into, you know, our, of course, DWTS recap. Yeah. I need to talk about Will and Disgrace. <laughs> I am like... And what about it, my dear? I, I, I think I've mentioned this before. I have been watching it out of obligation I feel like as someone who came up with the original show, like, and it was so groundbreaking then, you know, we have, we've loved these characters, they are beloved, and, you know, we want to pay attention to it again and whatever, but it's so bad this time around. It is so bad that they have started recycling their own stories. (laughs) Like, so now in their third but really in their what 11th season right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. third season of the iteration 11th season total they have now said that this is going to be the final final season <sighs> should have never happened but um grace is pregnant again like it's or you know what for the first time but meanwhile that was how they ended their season eight and that was like their whole series finale the first time it's so like Are they really recycling these storylines? It's so bad. And on top of it, there's now some beef that like Megan Mullally is like not appearing in two episodes of the season. Of the final season, everybody. Of the final season because apparently there's now like rifts between the four of them and um, or between her and some of them. And regardless, it's just, it's tainting what was this like perfect jewel in you know, American television history. And this is so, stop it with the reboots. It's so bad. It's so 
bad. And I'm hearing that they're bringing back like a Saved by the Bell reboot. They're bringing back a Punky Brewster reboot. They had 90210, which I kind of got behind, but whatever. But like the reboots need to stop. Can we stop? Yeah. Can we stop? Stop. There, I'm done. As I climb down off of my high horse, (laughs) (laughs) I'm done. I, as you say all of that, uh, the only reboot I'm looking forward to is the Mad About You reboot. I'm not. I don't want that. I do not. I feel like it's going to taint what was a perfect Mad About You was also historic. Uh, yes. Don't touch that shit. Leave I know it where it was. Again, I'm just again. It's one of those things where it's like I'm just curious. We're I'm, curious. I'm We've reboot curious. These characters because they meant so much to us, but we miss them for a reason because they were perfect where they were. Yeah. Leave them there. Yeah. Stop yeah. with the reboots. All right. I'm done now. <laughs> Wendy's climbing off her high horse. No more reboots. <sighs> or if you're, or like if you're gonna reboot something, tell a completely different story. Like they did with BH nine hundred two and Exactly. Sure. Tell a completely different story. Yes. Even then, will in disgrace. <laughs> Stop wow. it! Wow! Stop! <laughs> and I'm gonna continue to watch it. Because, because it's that you bad. Need, you need more of that clarification. Now it's just like watching a train wreck, and it's kind of awesome to watch. Okay. Talk about Modern Love. Tell us about that. Modern Love. Oh, Modern Love Amazon Prime series based on the Modern Love uh, column in the New York Times fashion section. And um, basically what they did was they did um, 30, about 30-minute 30 um episodes that are I didn't know that it was based on a times column. Yeah, Modern Love is um it's a uh, in the New York Times and these people write in with these stories of modern love and they're true stories um uh one of the one of the stipulations of the style guide is that you have to use the true names of everybody. So okay. in this particular um it, so it was a column in the New York Times and then it was a podcast where celebrities would read the uh the essays out loud. Mm-hmm. And then now they're basically dramatizing the um, dramatizing the their favorite, you know, their most favorite essays, and dramatizing it and putting it on the um, putting it on the screen. And so basically, it's an anthology series. All of the episodes are uh, self-contained within each other. Um, they all take place in New York City, obviously. And I actually, uh, well, we'll talk about this later. I watched it uh, while I was traveling, and it was a nice way to kind of, you know, culturally uh, get myself ready for uh, for the city. And I have to say that it is beautiful, and like it's it's kind of filling the place in my in my soul where Maisel is right now. Oh, like it's it's perfect right now for the changing. It's perfect right now for the changing seasons. I I feel Mm -hmm. like it's just it makes you feel good. There's some very interesting and nuanced portrayals of characters and issues, mental health issue and mental health issues. and it's very good. And it's it's good without being too precious. Uh-huh. Um and I think that I think that's important because it's like, you know, we don't want to be like, that's just love. Like yeah, yeah. no, it's it's good. Nice. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah. Good. Good, good. I sat on a couch with uh, my friends Tanner and Keith. Hey, hey boys, uh, at their home in Hoboken. Mm-hmm. I spent the night with them one night. 
And uh, we just watched it. We drank rosé and we watched Modern Love. Nice. And it was beautiful. As one does in Hoboken. Exactly. It was mm-hmm. raining. We didn't, they, mm-hmm. they took me to the oldest restaurant in Hoboken. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Leo's pictures of Sinatra everywhere. There Ronan, you, you can visit your dad. <laughs> um, yeah, it was good. Yeah, that's awesome. Recommend. 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 Um, all right. Mm. Cue the mirror ball. Okay, so carry on in Arbor. Um, <laughs> Bruno Tognoli. <laughs> Len Goodman. <laughs> so good. Dancing the Paso Doble I with mean, her partner Karama or with her partner Jenna. <laughs> y'all, cue the glitter sports. <laughs> we have, I also want to mention, we have a lot of glitter sports coming up. Yeah. In January. Yeah, Super Bowl. We have a Super Bowl. We also have a Summer Olympic yeah. happening. Yeah. Oh. There's going to be Tokyo. so much glitter sports coming your way. Yes. I hope you're ready, listeners. If you're not sick of us, here we are. <laughs> you're, get ready. Get ready. Get ready. We're going to shove glitter down your throat. You know what? We're not watching this glitter sports. We're not watching the mass Singer. That's what I'm telling Fuck you. Fuck that. That's not a sport. <laughs> There's no athleticism in that. I Whatever. mean, have you seen the costumes? That's no. Fuck that noise. Okay. <laughs> Dancing with the stars. Okay, so I have opinions okay. on things. Okay. Um, as we started this season, we said like there was a lot of pressure on Karamo up front, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody expected like, ooh, Karamo is gonna like knock it out of the park because the whole, you know, we all love him already. And he was kind of like falling through the cracks. Like he started out real slow, yeah. right? But he worked so hard. Hard, And what I loved about his journey in this was that he really, really saw him like just saying like, I'm learning, I'm not good at this and I'm so excited to be here. And like, ah, like it just, we understood how much it meant to him to be doing well at this and like how hard he was working on that. And it was lovely. And then we got to see his sons and then his father came in. We just learned so much about Karamo. (laughs) Yeah. And then, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Karamo. Karamo got the boot this Karamo week. Karamo got the boots. Karamo mm-hmm. got the boots. Mm-hmm. For a, on a dance that he actually was really on a good dance at. That he crushed. He crushed that. Also, I mean, it was an elimination that should have not happened because, and I'll get into this, Sean Spicer is still in it. Now, despite the Bobby Bones clause, <laughs> the Bobby Bones clause is still in effect for the finale because yeah. if Spicer makes it to the finale, we know what will happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Bye. <laughs> Bye. But I mean, the tragic thing that we're seeing now is that every week when they announce that Spicer is safe, it comes down to then two couples who have been doing really well. Yeah. And they're going home in lieu of him. Now, Sean Spicer is not a talented dancer. He is awful. He is also a corrupt politician. We know this. But I had said up front, like, if he uses this platform to, like, really actually kind of try to redeem himself, then, like, I don't know, maybe we'll get to see a different side of him, whatever. Joe is throwing so much shade at me right now. No, no, no. I, I go on because I have like I have murder beams out of his I, eyeballs at me. I have things to say, okay. but, but but yeah. All right. So again, while 
he cannot dance his way out of a paper bag and he is awful. He is trying so hard. He has never once spoken a negative word ever on this show. No, never on air. Never on air. He has been so positive about his journey and about really trying that there is something slightly redemptive about his journey on this show. That being said, he deserved to go home like four weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. But to be fair, like the show is about a journey and about learning, right? Yeah. He's not necessarily improving. But he's trying really, he's really hard. He's very much trying. I hate that other good dancers are going home in lieu of him. Exactly. Because he has all of middle America voting for him. However, yeah. I don't want to be completely elitist and like and completely just say boo. one-sided and say boo because I don't agree with your politics. I'm saying that in, in the art of like being objective here, I see something redemptive in his journey on this show. Yeah. I, I would... I am inclined to agree with you. Okay. Because, well, first of all, I'm going to say that um, go and watch uh, the Daily Show's uh, little clip, little blurb about uh, Sean Spicer. Okay. Because he, Tyler Perry, up until right now, up until this week, Tyler Perry breaks down all his performances and how, and how. Tyler what, Perry does? I'm sorry, Tyler, s- Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, so sorry. Since when is Tyler Perry on the Daily Show? I'm so sorry. Trevor You're Noah. Drunk. Go I'm home. drunk. Um, Trevor Noah breaks down like his um, behind the scenes campaign. Really? Because, you know, and like everybody's all like, vote for me, vote for me, vote for me. It's it's extra icky when it's Sean Spicer. Yeah. But, you know, every, so he kind of breaks that down a little bit in a very humorous way. I'm inclined to agree with you because, you know, again, it's one of those like, I'm doing the Viennese waltz for my dad, you know, yeah, yeah. type things. Yeah. And but, because I served in the United States Armed Services, like, we get it. Exactly. We yeah. get it. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> you, I just love every time he's safe, Lindsay's face is like, what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> really? And I Again? Love every time he's safe, the three judges are like, motherfucker. <laughs> Who's going home You're now? Like, Son of a fucking bitch. They're yeah. so pissed. <laughs> They're very pissed. They're, like, beyond hiding it at this point. They're like, this is why we have the Bobby Bones clause. Yes, this what is why. Fuck? And And it's just like, and it's. Here's the thing. He's not good. He is not good at He's dancing. He's not good at dance. This is a dancing competition. And he is not good at it. And he is it. not good at yeah. it. He <laughs> is never going to get a nine. Never. He will never get a nine. I have to Nor did Bobby Bones. No didn't Bobby Bones. Won it. And he won it. And I will say I will say this is that God bless the silent resistance that must be going on in the hair, makeup, and costume departments. Oh, yeah. Because they are like... The quiet resistance. The quiet resistance. They are putting him in the shittiest costumes. <laughs> they are giving him embarrassing makeup and lime green ruffles. They're giving him lime green ruffles. They made him Frankenstein they for sure an entire did. four hours. They had him in a makeup chair covered in latex. They made him... They had him hours. As a, they made him as Frankenstein and it was like a quick step or a jive. It was that some... A, like, <laughs> that is a quiet resistance. And we applaud you, Harry. And, we and, applaud, and, and you know what? We applaud the we fuck out of you. you. We see you. We see you. We honor you. Yes. We hear you. We stand for you. Exactly. We stand beside you. Thank you, Hair and Makeup. Yes. 
Um, I have, of course, as Wendy, the the peak of my homosexuality yes. is that I have to date the top three performances Joe, that have given me life. Joe is going to get extra homosexual extra on you. Extra gay, extra right? faggoty. Here we go. Now, so go. the top performances right now. Speaking of Sean Spicer, uh-huh. let's do Sean Spicer's Paso Doble to Bombaleo. <laughs> Because and this is one of your top three. This is my top three because Why? this is like this is exactly what I want from Dancing with the Stars. I want someone to be overly serious about a dance uh-huh. and still be bad, uh-huh. but it's his best dance so far. <laughs> Give us the clap. Give us the clap. So he's like he's doing this little like you know, yeah, like it's just like <laughs> it's just. And you know what? He's not bad at it because, like, he is in the military. It's a very aggressive. I also love anytime someone does a Paso Doble because it's a lot of, like, cape. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, look, it's almost like you're wearing a big gay skirt. Exactly. Ooh, Sean, how do you feel about that? Ooh. And he's, like, doing the little, like, you know, the flamenco boot stomping. Stomping his heels. And it was just like, uh. Because he can only dance on his heels. But that'll be the only, like, can we imagine, can you imagine Sean Spicer trying to do a rumba? Or a samba. Oh my god. A rumba with the flowing movement. Like, oh my god, I no. can't wait. I can't wait to see how awful and awkward that'll be. Uh, yeah. It'll be awful. I mean, because you know he's going to be on it through the end. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm calling that now. Exactly. Get over your disappointment. Every single week he's going to be safe. I know. It's just, this really sucks. It does. Uh, oh, well. Speaking of that, uh, my other one is the Survivor Paso Doble as well with Karamo and Jenna. Mm, like, mm-hmm. just the makeup. Yeah. Amazing. The yes. Halloween episode makeup that was gold, great. Yeah. Halloween. Yes. Hair and makeup. Get your life. They get that. They get their life. Yeah. Um, that Paso was beautiful and so good. And that that particular uh, cover of Survivor yes, was was dark. Was dark and it's like I'm a survivor, but like I'm gonna fuck you up. Like that's yeah. what that was. I'm gonna fuck you up. Yes. And and he works so hard. Mm-hmm. And then of course we have to one of my personal favorites and who I would love to you know be at least in the top three James Vanderbeek's Booty Shake and Samba. If James Vanderbeek is not in the top three, I quit the show. No, we we can't. We can't. James James Vanderbeek is one of those like he is if he, he is, is not, a fan. If he is not in the top three, I quit this show. Not Can, art time of the month. I quit <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars. And that's a that's a big thing. I'm there, I've said it. So who who are your top three contenders right now? Just for, like to make the top three uh, okay. of the show. I mean, sadly, I feel like Spicer is going to be in the top three. Okay, but like independent of okay, Spicer, but, if people come to their senses, if America comes to its senses, um, Vanderbeek, uh huh, Kate, yes, I want her in the top. She's doing really well, and then, hmm. It's a thinker. Um, we might be misaligned on the third one. Uh, not the who's the country singer? Not country. The singer. Bachelorette. Nope. The girl band one. Oh, oh, Allie? oh, Allie. Allie yes. What band was which? Uh, group Fifth was Harmony. She? Fifth Harmony. Yeah. I think it'll be her. Really? Mm. Mm. No. Mm. I mean, she had the first nines of the season. Kel Mitchell. Oh, I don't think that Kel's gonna make it. I think, I mean, I love him. What it's going to come down to is it's going to be girl band and Kel and because Spicer will be safe again. I mean, <laughs> so I be think girl band that and if Kel. it comes down to that, though, I yeah. think that in the next week, like when Spicer's safe, it'll come down to one of them. I think Bachelorette might be the next to go home, actually. Yeah, she, 
<laughs> she kind of has like I love that like Carrie and Anaba is basically calling her a sociopath. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, it's, feel feelings, damn it. It's and like, she's just like, I mean, I don't dance, and I'm going to start crying, and I'm... But she yeah. has said that about a lot of people. She has. Carrie Ann, oh, this is how, this is how so all in we are. Carrie Ann has said that about, like, her thing is, like, you're not feeling it. I don't, you don't look like you have emotions. Yeah. <laughs> like, you look like a sociopath. Yeah. She's said that about a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I remember, because it was most uncomfortable when she said it about Simone Biles. And yes. And this is pre, like, this is the pre... Pre her being the greatest athlete in the world Greatest ever. athlete of all time. Pre um, all of the sex abuse scandal, yeah. like, all of that stuff. And I just remember thinking, like, ugh, like, it was just so... It, it, Simone Biles, she said that about Laurie Hernandez. Like, she's said yeah. this about people. Yeah. And it's just, like... And I, and I appreciate that about Carrie Ann because she's able to cut through, um, like, okay, you the don't... celebrity and just go to, like... Exactly. I'm yeah. like, you're performing, but you don't know... You're, you're performing it for me, but I don't believe you. Yeah. Yeah. Be yeah. authentic. Yeah. Which is totally her because she's, you know, that's just how she had to do it. She's like, yeah. I'm not a dancer. I'm a beauty queen. I'm Which a royalty person. Which is why I person. think that Bachelorette's going home next. Yeah. I mean, I hope it's Spicer, but yeah. if not, I think it's Bachelorette. Honorable mention. I mean, I love me some Lauren Elena. <laughs> like, I love the I love the country girl. Mm-hmm. Not just because of Gleb. I love mm-hmm. the country girl. I think Pasha, Kate's partner, is really proving himself. Yes. So, so well. Yeah. So good. Oh, also, your boy... Alan. Alan. <laughs> I believe Alan fucks every one of his partners. Do you? I sure You don't do. think Alan is a gay? Alan fucked... Social media girl. Oh, uh, I don't know. Alan self-admittedly was like, now we're dating. And they ah! had that whole press package where they were like, I do have feelings for you. Let's French and let's make out in front of everyone. And it was like wildly uncomfortable to watch. And I couldn't deal with it. And now, because who is he partners with right now? He's partners with The Bachelorette. I think that they're fucking. I'm uh. telling you. I think he gets down with every single one of his partners. Oh, God. I want him to get down with me. Uh. Well, (laughs) I'm like, listen, if I was Alan's partner, I'd let him touch me. I I would. In my bathing suit place. In, I mean, of the, of the hottest men that have, that have been on Dancing with the Stars, it's going to be Alan. Uh It's going to be Keo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, and I mean... I wouldn't kick him out of bed for crackers, but I don't want to hear his opinion on worldviews. <laughs> it's going to be Gleb. Like, it really will be Gleb. See? Or Artem. Artem. I can't get past Gleb. Maybe Artem. Gleb. Artem has a better Artem yeah. has a better beard. Uh, mm-hmm. And also Pasha. He's short, but he's delivering. Yes, yes. Pasha's hot. And then, and then Sasha and Pasha. I just love that. I know. And then, uh, you know what? No, I switch Artem for Sasha because Sasha can commit. You have never been more gay than you ah, are right ah! now. Right now. Ashley is listening to this and she is living for the conversation. I, you are so gay <laughs> at this moment. Just as this very moment. I know. Time. Ashley agrees with me. Uh, yeah. She's going to, she sure does. <laughs> she's going to be like, I, she's going to text me and be like, yep, you are. hundred percent. Like, mm-hmm, yep. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. But like, um, so I ha- also want to talk a little bit about the fact that, um, Sailor Brinkley, Sailor Brinkley Cook. Sailor Brinkley Cook left. And I was like, you know what? I think that's what you get for lip syncing to every single fucking dance (laughs) that you have. Sailor, I was like, can you stop singing along with every song that you're dancing to? It was driving me insane. Yeah. 
I was not here for her. Do we miss the like Tuesday night episode like results reveals? No. Okay. I like the immediate the immediacy of Yeah. of the elimination. Um I am I'm always here for Aaron Andrews just like the awkwardness of Aaron Andrews. Just being so awkward. Like, at, approaching every single interview like she's yep. on a football field. 100%. Because she's like a duck. She's like a fish in water when I watch her on football. Somehow football's on in my home. And and I don't know why, but she's there. And I'm like, oh, she looks capable. Yeah. And then she looks capable. <laughs> Like you put her in a sparkly dress and she's not. You put her in like a very like you put her in like a glitter pant and then <laughs> she's just like, now what do you have to say about Len, huh? Like I know, right? Len- so tell me about your feelings. I see that you're crying right now. <laughs> what is that about? Tell me how you're feeling. Exactly. Well, you know, Len probably ate something bad. You know, Carrie Ann and Abba called you a sociopath. What do you say about that? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Crazy. Um what I will say also is, and it's subtle, it is subtle. But watch Tom Bergeron every time he's standing next to Sean Spicer. You can see him like low-key gritting his teeth. You can see the like subtle resentment that's there that's like kind of not so subtle. Mm -hmm. But you can see Tom like working extra hard to be professional in those moments. I I haven't picked that up. but It's something that like I kind of look closely at. I look closely on, and it's it's subtle, but it's there. Um, have, how do we feel about Len this season? Because I feel like Len has been like extra, like <laughs> extra salty. Yeah, because there was a moment where like Bruno defended Len. Like, uh-huh. do you remember? It was like you know this man is a ju- like this man about, and I was like, wow. And yeah. I don't And I even don't then, even then when Bruno gets booed, he just like, he laps it up. Yeah. But I love the way he compliments people to, or like he cuts people down because he's like, that was a brilliant display of ineptitude or, or something. Like, that, that was not good, my darling. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He was like, oh, it was good until you, until you yeah. fucked it up right there with a step. <laughs> yeah. I, I generally don't have an opinion on the judges. I mean, Lena, I always kind of feel as like the crotchety throwaway on the table. You know what I mean? True. Like, and I when feel he gives like the nines the tens, I'm like, oh, it must be good. Okay, but like but, he just feels like it's so it's so weird because it's like is his fact that he's so labored about everything a part of his shtick? The way so. like Bruno's oh, thing yeah. is, yeah. I think so. I will say I've kind of been living for how like in love he has been with Pasha this season, <laughs> and how like Len's nose is up Pasha's ass right now, and he's like, you're giving me everything. You're like, giving me all the content. Yeah, <laughs> giving like, me ugh. all. There was a lot of salsa content. No, there like, were no lips. <laughs> Quit making out with him already. Enough. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, All right. How many? We have 17,000 more weeks of Dancing with the Stars. Is that it? We're more than halfway through. Are we? We'll see what happens. We haven't had my great, my my most memorable year yet. We have not. But we've already had like this freestyle is going out to my father, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This freestyle. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate this dance to my dead stepfather. <laughs> <laughs> I hope when he's looking like I just can't I, it's so much guys this show is so extra anytime, that's why we watch it anytime someone dedicates a dance oh. to like you know I'm gonna dedicate this dance to our troops who yeah. are out there serving okay. oh god it's like no one wants to see you know you do like a cha-cha-cha to uh, jump in the line like <laughs> no no I know the troops certainly don't no yeah but no. like Karamo's all like I'm dedicating this freestyle to my father and he's like running around shirtless and yeah, his dad's no. there I was like, what? That's a, a 
that's weird. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Um, but we have several more weeks of this. I really feel like watching this show, though, it's a commitment. It's like a long-running marathon of a fucking show. <laughs> and it's live, so, like, you know, mm. life is happening outside of this. Life is happening. Like, you know, there's a lot of life happening outside of this. And, it, like, you just, you just, we're going to put on a show about dancing. Serious. <laughs> oh, God. But, I mean... I feel like while life is happening, we need to have these shows about dancing exactly. because we need levity and, you know, we need things like happy news, like Tyler Perry's studios. We need dancing with the stars because, oh my God, we'd all kill ourselves if we did not You know, it's so, mm-hmm. these are dark times we're in right yeah. now, y'all. The glitter sports is the light in the dark times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need that kind of levity. So um, before we leave you all, I would like to introduce a new segment called... I saw it on a plane. Yay! Yay! You've heard us talk about it. I feel like we need we need like a theme song jingle of like I saw it on a plane. I don't. <laughs> That's I don't it. Know. Just like that. That's I saw it. it on a plane. There it is. I just freestyled that. You're welcome. <laughs> it's gonna be a top forty hit. Um, I saw it on a plane. We talk all the time about the movies that we'll put off seeing because, because we're travel. We're jet setters. We're travelers. We'll see them on planes. I feel like I'm. Now I'm banking on seeing Downton Abbey, the movie, on a plane. And I have several flights coming up. So be prepared for this segment for the next five months. You're going to hear it from me. Um, I saw it on a plane. What did you see on a plane this month, So the way I see things on planes is that typically... Typically with the, because I fly Southwest a lot, so you Uh can have it on your, you can just, as long as you have your own device with a Southwest app, you can access their library of movies Uh and stuff. I like to download things because I'm like trapped on a, you know, I'm trapped and I can do that. So what I downloaded and it was just like, oh, this looks interesting. I'll, you know, it'll waste 90 minutes. I downloaded Los Tigres del Norte at Folsom Prison. Huh. The documentary on Netflix that is about, um... So, the Tigres del Norte is this uh, San Jose, California-based Norteño band, which is, uh, you know, music mm-hmm. uh, from a Mexico style of music. Very iconic. When you hear it, you, if you've never heard Norteño music, when you hear it, you'll know. Uh-huh. Um, and what they did was in January of 2018, they went to... They straight up Johnny Cash that shit. Exactly. They, sell it, they commemorated the 50th anniversary of Johnny Cash's performance at Folsom Prison cool. by going and doing their own concert. It was the first time since Johnny Cash that anyone had ever come to perform at really? Folsom. Yes. And so they they performed for false they performed for the prison population at Forsum. Is this uh, a documentary? It's a documentary, cool. but it's a documentary slash um, concert film. Cool. And um, they the the first song that they do when they get out there, and they did it. They couldn't do it in the cafeteria the way that Johnny did it because there's it's a much bigger population. So they did it um, in like the yard right in front of the chapel at Folsom. Mm-hmm. And the first song that they did was they nor- was their interpretation of Folsom Prison Blues, cool. which was signed off on by the Cash family. Wow, and was uh, writ- co-written and transcribed with Johnny Cash's daughter-in-law. Very cool. So it's in com- it's in Spanish. The entire Entire film is in Spanish. Nice. And but like the thing I appreciate is that as they're singing their music, you can the sub they're subtitling it, so you're understanding the words that they're saying. Uh-huh. And the the main takeaways from it was like back fifty years ago, there were like no um, Latino prisoners, and like it's more than fifty percent mm. of the population. 
now. Wow. And and then they also did a separate concert for the women of Folsom. Dope. So they had uh, 50 years ago there were no there no was women no there. women there and then that, then they opened up a, a section of the I'm adding this to my Netflix queue right add now. It. You should watch it. It's very it's it's beautiful. It's it says a lot about what it means to to um, humanize voices of those who are incarcerated because you hear a lot of the stories of the men uh, of the men and women who are uh, who are incarcerated and what that you know the mistakes that they've made how a lot of them that's they have a lot of them are like owning up to what it is that they did and uh-huh. and how the, th- those decisions made it um, one one guy is um, was in a Norteño band. Yo, bef- that's awesome. Before he became in prison, mm-hmm. and he was very talented, and he gets to he gets to play with them. Oh, that's so great! That's yeah. amazing. It was. It's very. It's very good and very powerful. And I'm just like I'm like sitting there on a plane, mm-hmm. <laughs> eating my Lorna Dunes and you know, <laughs> drinking my apple juice, and I'm yep. just like. It was great. It was very nice. Well, it's funny that you mention like a a music documentary because I also saw a music documentary on my plane um, while eating my Twix. Yes. (laughs) Um, I always opt for a good Twix in an airport. Um, I watched Amazing Grace, Mm -hmm. which was the Aretha Franklin documentary of her recording that album um, in her Baptist church. So at the time that they recorded Amazing Grace, um, who was it? Sydney, uh, that, that directed it. Sydney. Sydney no, Pollock. Sydney Pollock. Thank you. Okay. Sydney Pollock was hired to direct all of the footage for, um, the recording of this album with the, the, uh, Southern California Baptist choir and in her church. So, um, they like stopped and started a few things and all that. So they recorded this um, after she had had a string of number one hits. She decided to go back to her roots and record this gospel album. And I guess the footage had been damaged. So oh, it no. was never released until now. So um, all of Sidney Pollock's f- old footage has now been like remastered and, and like a new compilation of it. But what was so great is that you see like, Kind of, it was recorded over two or three nights, I think, in the church, and you see kind of like the congregation like just grow and grow and grow every night. Um, Mick Jagger and the Stones were in the audience; they were at church that night, and they started like in the back of the church, and then by the end of the the album's recording, they were in the front row, like clapping along, and everyone was like, you know, just like sweating and on their feet, and she's just singing, and that whole movie was church. It was. Jesus, you know, and I was like sitting in my seat, just like <laughs> clapping along and I was eating my twigs and Courtney was looking at me like, what are you doing? What are you watching? And I was like, I am living for this. Um, so it was, it was really fantastic. So that was, that was one movie I saw on a plane. Um, highly recommend. Just really, really okay. beautiful if you're in for some great music, if you're in the mood for that. And then the other movie I saw, having just listened to Mother Julie's book, I noticed that Victor Victoria, the movie, was available on JetBlue streaming. Um, and I have never seen that movie. So I was like, I'm going to watch this movie right now. And it was really long and dated and whatever. Yes. But I watched it because I was on a plane. Yes. And... All respects to Mother Julie. 
And there you go. Le Jazz Hot. Le Jazz <laughs> From Steamboat Springs yes. to La Paz. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and like a very young, hot James Garner. Yes. Very young, hot, homophobic James Garner. <laughs> with like a creepy mustache. Um, but, I'm, you know. Lots of foreheads. Super dated. <laughs> you know, the movie is like, if that movie was made today, it would be edited significantly. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's a kitschy, you know, I could see why they made it into a musical and why Mm -hmm. the musical was more successful probably. Um, (laughs) but yeah, you know, it was fun for watching on a plane. All good. Awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. That's October. (laughs) That was a lot, friends. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. We saw it on a plane. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that concludes, we saw it on a plane. Um, we have much coming up in November. Yeah, we do. We have a lot coming up in November. Uh, several movies, like we're going to start to see kind of the Oscar nominated films coming out. The Little Mermaid Live is coming out. The uh, Macy's like, Thanksgiving the Parade. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, tons and tons of movies. Queer Eye in Japan came out. Um, so lots of things to talk about in November. And we're going to be releasing another Artist We're Spotting episode with yes. Jenny Bloom. With the lovely Jenny Bloom. With Jenny Bloom. And so um, we've been talking at you for long enough. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, friends. I hope you haven't waited to use the bathroom this time. Happy October. Yeah. Hope you finished your donuts. Yes. And uh, enjoy your time of the month.